0: welcome to the coming out of the dark bible study with pastor john tonight's study will be in the book of daniel we invite you to join us at one oakley avenue in north providence rhode island this podcast is presented to you by the way ministries supported by listeners like you for donations live videos podcasts and more please visit www.thewayministriesri.org Thank you, and have a great day. Then he gave him this illustration. Notice the fig tree, or any other tree. I don't know, you notice the fig tree's always uh, coming up, and he always uses a fig tree. When the leaves come out, you know, without being told that summer is near. Like, if you go outside right now, you see that summer is near because the things are blooming. That's what he's saying. You don't have to... You know. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So we have to understand the word of God will never disappear. Even in this life or the life to come, the word of God will always be here. Then it says in verse 34, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Every day Jesus went to the temple to teach, and each evening he returned to spend the night on the Mount of Olives. The crowds gathered at the temple early each morning to hear him. So he's saying, watch out, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you on a way. So always be prepared, like that day's coming tomorrow. Don't ever get slack with your study and don't get slack with your worship, because this is what happens. People don't see, it hasn't come for a long time, so people get what, relaxed. I don't have to go to church, you know, the end times ain't here yet, the signs didn't come yet. Let me tell you something. It's going to come like that, like a thief in the night. You're not going to know it. So we have to be prepared. So it says don't let, it be, don't let your hearts be dulled. Always stay alert. Even stay alert. Watch out your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour somebody. He always wants to catch us off guard because he's going to come like a thief. You've got to be prepared. All right, I got one for us. Let's go to First Corinthians 13. <laughs> no, can't be. They <laughs> wonder where I'm gonna go. Okay. All right, let's go to verse four. Ready? Ready, group? Let's do this together. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Amen? So that's what we have to understand. As Christians, we have that kind of love in our hearts. There should be no reason for any Christian to get bitter and resentful to anyone if they have the heart of God. If they have the heart of God, this is the kind of love they have. And they'll make allowances for each other's faults. They'll love one another. But if they don't have the heart of God, they'll get bitter, resentful, and leave. This is what happens in churches. So we have to understand that this is the heart he gave us. So if somebody offends us, we make allowances. We forgive and forget. I call it holy amnesia. Who's perfect? Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. We all should be graceful and merciful to one another as we grow, just like Jesus is graceful and merciful to us. And if we're not like that, then you have to ask yourself, do I have Jesus? Do I even have him? Because if you have him, you'll be able to do that and forgive and forget. Look at verse 8. This is how important it is. Prophecy, and speaking in unknown languages, and special knowledge, like everybody wants special knowledge of the Bible, look what it says, in the later times it will become useless, but love will last forever, it's saying forget about all the knowledge, forget about everything else, practice verse 4 to verse 7, this is what the whole Bible is written to do, practice the love chapter, that's all you have to do. And all the knowledge will fall into place after that. You don't need any other knowledge, but the knowledge to love one another. That kind of love. People go into deeper scriptures, revelation times, and all this craziness, but they can't do that. And that's what the whole Bible is geared to teach us to do. First Corinthians chapter 13. It says it in the ch- verses before, if I can speak in all the languages, but didn't love any- anybody, I'd be nothing. If I had all the secrets, I was smart, and I, was, and I could boast about it. If I didn't love anybody else, I didn't gain anything from it. So what is this coming to Bible study, coming to church, doing all the things we do in the ministry supposed to produce? 1 Corinthians 13. That's what it's all supposed to produce. That kind of loving you. And if it's not, you do, you're missing the mark. That's what the whole church is geared to do. Mature us so we can be loving, patient, kind... Not jealous, or boastful, or rude, or do not demand its own way, right? Don't get irritated with people. Keep no record of being wrong. What's keep no record of being wrong? The end of the day, clean the slate. In the morning, holy amnesia. Whatever happened yesterday, I forgive whatever happened and forget, and I move on, and I press towards the goal of becoming like Christ. Because if you don't, and you build up a resentment, You cannot become Christ-like. It's impossible. You become like Satan. You become like the devil. You get resentful and bitter and complaining. Then you miss the mark. And then, unfortunately, salvation is not knocking at the door. What is salvation? Deliverance from the sin nature. Deliverance so we can actually, you do this. Be patient and kind. That's what salvation is. Remember Zacchaeus? We just read that in Monday Night Group. That he said to Jesus, if I stole anything, I'll give him back four times as much. He repented. He what? He changed. He made amends. You're not the same person anymore. Jesus comes into your life and changes you. If you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, there'll be no change and there'll be no salvation. But you know the ones who are saved because you know. They want to change. They want to become like Christ. Whatever it is. Life gets in the way, but we still keep coming. The, the Spirit drives us on. Amen? Amen? That's how you know. That's an awesome verse, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. In verse 9, it says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy only reveals part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, okay, these partial things will become useless. When I get mature will become everything else will become useless. When I was a child, look what it says. I spoke and I thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Why do Christians still child? They're like children. Still what? Jealous and bitter and man, man and, and, and selfish. Now we see these things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things that will last forever, bless you, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Love. Love thy neighbor as they they Jesus said, that fulfills all the law and prophecies in the Bible. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's the book. That's the whole Bible. Those, two, those. That's all you have to really learn. How about a big amen there? Amen. All right, let's go into the book of Daniel. We're in chapter nine. Verse seven. Yeah, we're gonna back up though. I'm gonna back up to verse one oh. <laughs> <laughs> because we didn't really break into this. We didn't explain this enough. Let me, let me summarize this now, okay? In, in chapter 9. There's a lot here, so I want to make it clear here. Alright? Before we get going, I'm going to summarize this a little bit. Now we come to the reign of Darius the Mede, okay? Who ruled over the Babylonians after Belshazzar, okay? After he fell. In the first year of Darius' reign, Daniel says that he was reading about how the prophet Jeremiah said that Jerusalem would stay destroyed for 70 years before it could be restored. So Daniel goes into fasting mode, dressing down in some sackcloth and smearing himself in ashes. Daniel then prays to God, praising him and confessing to him on behalf of all the Jews. He says that they have been unfaithful to God's law and have acted wicked and rebelliously. They have also ignored the messages that the prophets gave to them and to their leaders. Daniel continues in this vein. He says that whereas God is righteous, Israel and Judah and their leaders and authorities need to be full of shame. He asks God for mercy and forgiveness, confessing that all of Israel has been guilty of rebellion against God's law and failing to live up to it. They violated Moses' oath to God, says Daniel, and now they're paying the punishment. God has allowed Jerusalem to be conquered and plundered, something totally unprecedented in Israel's history. Daniel continues confessing the sins of his people to God. He then asks God again for mercy, pleading with him to turn his wrath away from Jerusalem. He asked God to turn his face towards now, desolated Jerusalem, he further asks for God's forgiveness toward a nation and city that bear his name. It gets better, okay, then way worse, and then better again. Now, listen up. While Daniel is seeking forgiveness from God in the course of making his prayer, Gabriel shows up again at the time reserved for evening sacrifices. Gabriel tells Daniel that he is here to give him a message and says that he, Daniel, is greatly beloved by God. He says that God has decreed that Jerusalem remain desolate for 70 weeks. This is in order to atone for its sin and allow it to regain its prophetic mission and to anoint a holy place. There will be seven weeks until Israel gets a new prince And it will take 62 weeks to partly rebuild it. Though that time period will still be troubled. After the 62 weeks are over, things are going to get bad again. The soldiers of a new conqueror are going to destroy the city. And an anointed one will be cut off from Jerusalem. The new and apparently wicked ruler is going to be constantly fighting wars. And his reign will finally end with a flood. But before that happens... The wicked ruler will make a corrupt deal that will last one week. For half of that week, he will be able to stop sacrifice and offerings to God in the temple. instead, he will set up an abomination that desolates in their place, which will end when the rulers is finally destroyed and permanently defeated. Amen. So now I want to, I want you to understand, do you, does anybody know why he, he, he did it for seventy years? Does anybody know why it was exile for seventy years? I'm going to tell you why. Why did they have to go in exile for seventy years? There's a reason why. Seventy years of captivity was because of Israel's wor- Israel worshiped false gods, in, in, of their pagan neighbors, and they failed to let the land rest one year after every seven for 490 years. Leviticus 25, 1 to 7, and 2 Chronicles 36, 21. So to make up for that, it cost them 70 years to make the land better again, because they failed to do it for 490 years. So that was the price they had to pay for worshiping false gods and not letting the land rest. After seven years, they're supposed to not do plant for another year, they're supposed to let it rest. They didn't do that for 490 years. Because they didn't do that, God said, okay, now 70 years I'm gonna give the land make the land desolate so it can rest. So they had to pay the price for being disobedient. Listen, what's the lesson here? Disobedience costs you. It's a consequence for disobedience. Does God love and forgive? Yes. But the consequences remain. Especially to an educated believer. You have to understand, Israel knew what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. So they had to pay the price. Guess what? God knows what you are supposed to do, and if you don't do it, you pay the price. It's just the way it goes. Can I get any amen here? Mm-hmm. The Bible says, fear of God is the key to all wisdom and knowledge of the Bible. Fear of God, knowing what He can do. Alright, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I got a healthy fear of God. When I read the Old Testament and what he did, mm-hmm. I think um, all of us should have a healthy fear of God by now, no? Yeah. All Saul, they, um, um, God told Saul to destroy everything, right? Saul didn't do it, so what did he do? He actually took the Holy Spirit from him and put a tormenting spirit in him instead. So let me tell you something. Does does God ever take the Holy Spirit from us now? No, he doesn't take it away. But he can put a tormenting spirit in you if you're disobedient. So you don't even sense the Holy Spirit. Does anybody ever get tormented? Believe me, nothing, nothing happens unless God allows it. He sends the torment. He sends it all. He sends the pain. He sends the rain. He sends the justice. He sends the love. All of it's designed to make you like Jesus. All of it. All right, let's go to verse 1. Daniel's prayer for his people. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. What did Daniel do? Daniel learned... How did he learn? From reading the word of the Lord. Daniel learned from reading the Bible. As revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. That Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Right? Jeremiah 25.11. I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. All right, before we go on. Daniel pleaded with God to bring about the promised return of his people to their land, okay? The prophet Jeremiah had written that God would not allow the captives to return to their land for 70 years. Jeremiah 25, 11 to 12, and 29, 10. Daniel knew of this prophecy and realized that the 70-year period was coming to an end, so he was counting the days. Just imagine being... Somewhere in, in a captivity for 70 years, and not, not, God't know no, God is nowhere in sight. Just imagine how corrupt the people were getting. Not only corrupt but very bitter, very bitter to God, but the reason why they were in captivity because of their rebellious sins, but not seeing that, they get mad at God. We get mad at God, when he doesn't answer our prayer and when He chastens us. Then why God? I go to Bible study. Bible study has nothing to do with God chastening you. He chastens you because it, whatever you're studying in the Bible is not producing the love of God it's supposed to produce. It, you're not living out what you're learning. God here's one thing about God. Once he once he gives you knowledge, ignorance is not bliss anymore. You can't say I didn't know. That's why we end up paying a terrible price as Christians. We get twice the chasing as the unbelieving world does because we know better. Now look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. This is what he did. Daniel confessed. Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. He didn't get bitter, now did he? You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love. to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. So Daniel confessed for the whole nation. So he knew why they were there. Daniel knew why they were in captivity. He knew what they did. So he confessed to the Lord their rebellion. Now before we go on, the captives from Judah had rebelled against God. Listen now. Their sins had led to their captivity. But God is merciful even to rebels if they confess their sins and return to him. See? Don't let your past disobedience Keep you from returning to God. Amen. He is waiting for you and wants you to return to him. Remember the prodigal son? He went away. Bless you. He went away. God didn't chase him. When he was ready to come back, he had his arms wide open to accept him back. God has sent many prophets to speak to his people through the years. But their messages have been ignored. The truth had been too painful to hear. God still speaks clearly and accurate through the Bible. And he also speaks through preachers, teachers, and concerned friends. Sometimes the truth hurts, and we would rather hear words that soothe, even if they are false. That's one thing about here. I'll tell you the truth, because I love you. And sometimes people get mad at me because I'm being truthful with them. But I'm not gonna bend the truth to make them feel better. That's not what God is. It says, no, God doesn't love doesn't make people comfortable. Love tells the truth. So they what? Don't fall into the pit. So they can what? Come out of it. It's up to a preacher to teach the truth, not scratch its ears to fill the pews. So when somebody that wants to hear something sweet and soft and God speaks to them. Remember Job? Well, everybody read the book of Job right at the end. Did he say, poor Job, you poor little guy, what happened to you? No, he said, Job, so now I got some questions for you. Where were you when I created all this? He didn't, it's okay. He said, where were you when I put this all together? That's God, that's the heart of God. Because he loves his people, he speaks truth. So if the preacher loves the people and he speaks the truth, am I gonna, is it gonna be any different for me? I'm gonna get persecuted just like Jesus did. Can I get an amen here? Amen. But it's the truth that sets you free. So sometimes you'd rather hear words that soothe, even if they're false. If you are unwilling to accept God's message, maybe you are trying to avoid making a painful change. Don't settle for a soothing lie that will bring harsh judgment. Accepting the truth, even if it is painful, can only help you. Can I get an amen here? All right, verse seven. Sometimes when I talk, when when I'm with God and he gives me messages and I'd rather say not do it, but he says, what do you want me to do, lie? Tell them what they wanna hear. Want me to lie to them? Can't do it, I can't lie, I'm accountable to God. If I lose friends along the way, so help it, I'm not gonna lose my relationship with God. Amen? This is the way it's gonna be. All right, look at verse seven. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true for all of us, including the people of Judah, in Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you O oh Lord we and our kings princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you but the Lord our God is merciful and forgiven even though we have rebelled against him so he's merciful and forgiven so he didn't have to take him out of exile at all So he's saying, even after 70 years was up, he took them out. He didn't have to. He could have let them rot there forever. But he was merciful to let them out after 70 years. Now look what it says. Look at verse 10. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away refusing to listen to your voice. So now, the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. God warned them not to deviate. God warned them not to be disobedient. God warns us not to be disobedient. God warns us not to do that. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. He told them in Deuteronomy, remember? He says, if you disobey, all the curses written in this book are gonna fall on you. He says, but if you're obedient, all the curses written in the book is gonna fall on your enemies. They didn't obey him. So all the curses fell on them. He warned them. But what happened? The flesh took over their obedience. How many times has our flesh overcome our obedience? Or our emotions, your flesh. You know, when we're talking about our flesh, our sin nature. How, how many times does that take over our obedience to God? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have to understand, when God chastens us, it's because we're disobedient. And he wants to get us back in line. Who doesn't chasten? God says, if you're not mine, I won't chasten you. Right? In um, Hebrews. Now look what it says. Every curse, 13, written against the Lord has come true, yet we have refused, listen to this, yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God, By turning from our sins and recognizing this truth. They still didn't want to hear it. They still didn't want to hear it. Now. Before we go on. Daniel mentioned the curses outlined in Deuteronomy 28. Like I just told you. Okay. God had given the people of Israel a choice. Obey me and receive blessings. Or disobey me and face curses. The affliction was meant to turn the people to God. When we face difficult circumstances, we should ask ourselves if God has reason to send judgment. If we think so, we must urgently seek his forgiveness. Then we could ask him to help us through our troubles. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am a sinner. See, this is what we have to do. It says we should ask ourselves if God has reason to send judgment. Do we evaluate ourselves enough to see if there's a reason why God's sending the judgment on us? And if we can see that, which we should, go right to the knees, repentant, say, Lord, I've sinned against you. And I've been disobedient and rebellious. Please have mercy on me. Don't go blaming people. This is what people do. They blame God. They blame, why is this happening to me? Instead of saying, what have I done that might have caused this judgment to fall on me? Everybody looks everywhere else instead of in the mirror. But God looks at the heart. Can I get an amen here? This is serious stuff because the times are getting short in this world. Everybody wants their ears scratched out there. And Jesus is going to come and people ain't going to know what the heck's going on. They think they're getting the blessings of Abraham. But we don't, they're gonna be facing judgment. Because they're taught the wrong stuff. They're not being prepared for what's coming. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. Now Let me ask you this, Christians. When God chastens you, do you say that to him? Do you say, God, you're right in what you did to me because I didn't obey you? Mm -hmm. Do we go to him with an honest heart and say, God, I didn't obey you. I deserve worse than what you just give me. But please have mercy on me. If you're a mature Christian, you will do that. And he will have mercy on you. Two things can happen to Christians. They get better or they get bitter. They get bitter because they don't think that they're going to get judged for their sins anymore. Or chastened. Because they're getting prosperity messages out there. Don't worry about it. If you lose your job, God's got a better one for you. They don't tell you anything about your sins. The repent, the turn, the change. All right, before we go on, Daniel spoke about how God continually tried to bring Israel back to himself. Remember, he sent the prophets, right? Jeremiah telling them, turn, please come back to the Lord. No, we don't want to hear it. Remember, he said, I'm the part of, no, we're going to live in sin. We don't want you. And then they wonder why they had to go into exile. They didn't want it they wanted to live they wanted their flesh gratified they didn't want to live for God how many of us as Christians come to church on Sunday go out the same way that they came in never make a change and expect God to just bless them and everything's going to be great is that the God of the Bible that's not the God of the Bible no it's not the God of the Bible it's the God of this world the God of this world will make your flesh make your flesh happy. Satan will bless you materially for a reason. Why does Satan bless materially? He blesses us materially because it replaces God. It's an idol. It becomes an idol. Nobody nobody's telling people you've got to sacrifice. You gotta die to yourself. You gotta live for me. You've got to be all in with this, or it's not gonna work. And let me tell you something: if you're God's child, he's not gonna stop until you turn to him and obey him. So you could either enjoy the trip or get spanked all the way into the kingdom. It's up to you. Or there's a thing called the sin unto death where God says, you know what? I've had it with you. I've given you more chances to turn than, I, than I'm done. What does he do? He, he cuts us off. He kills us. Sent unto death. It's there. It's real. But think about it. God's not really asking us to do much, but to love him and obey him. He's saying this is for your good. This isn't even for God's benefit. It's for yours. It's like, we're so stubborn. We are, we're so stubborn. We think we know more than God. <clears throat> All right, look at verse 15. O Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt and a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. Do you see why God loved Daniel? Why was Daniel so important? Why, was God, why did God give Daniel everything? Because Daniel recognized how sinful and wicked he was. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mocked Jerusalem and your people because of our sins, in the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead, for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. He's praying for his, for the people, right? Because Daniel was obeying God. He was praying, he was interceding for them. Daniel was a prophet, by the way. You have to understand that. He was a prophet. Look at verse 18. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. See, he's asking for his mercy. He wants God to do something that they don't deserve. You know, that's exactly what he's trying to say. Because God is merciful. What do you think? I pray all the time for the people in the church. Lord, please, have mercy on them and be patient with them because they're not getting an understanding and they're not maturing, Lord. Please, give them more room to grow before you discipline them because that's what he's going to do. I can't stop that from happening. I can only pray that he has more mercy because I'm teaching the stuff that God's telling me to teach so you can get mature and grow in Christianity and become Christ-like so God can bless you. So now, but but if you're not going to listen and obey it, God's going to chasten the people in the church. But I don't want that to happen. I intercede all the time and I pray. Every morning I get on my knees right over here. I pray for the people because some people, it goes in one ear and out the other. They come, they hear, they leave. They come, they hear, they leave. But God's not, God knows that they know. They're getting taught truth. So what's he going to do? He's going to chasten his children. And they're not going to understand it. They're going to wonder why. Because I come to church every week, God. Why am I getting chastened? Because they're not getting the depth of what I'm trying to teach. It goes way beyond showing up for church. It's a change of heart by God's spirit. The spirit of the Lord is speaking to the church. To what? Transform the people. So we have Jesus at the head and a bunch of Christ-like character developed in the body. So people are what? Forgiving, loving, not gossiping and slandering each other, tearing each other apart, forgiving one another. But obviously it's not happening. Have you noticed it's not happening? People are what? Not doing that, they're getting resentments and bitterness and what strife and jealous when it's like, aren't you? Are you're not hearing what the Bible is teaching. Some people are hearing it, but not everybody is. So I go and I pray and I intercede for everybody because I know it's gonna get painful to get people back on track. There's people that know. <laughs> His people have been chastened by God and got, and got back on track. But God says, I don't want to lead you by the rod. I want to lead you by the eye. The eye of the word of God. What the preacher is telling you to do, just do it. So avoid that. Just because it doesn't come quickly doesn't mean judgment's not coming. He gives us plenty of time to repent and turn from it. If you live in some sinful way. But not, I try to say, not only does it stain you, but it stains the people in the church. It stains everything. It affects everybody when you sin. You have to understand, so what do we want to do? This for the love of others. You say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I don't want my brothers to suffer for it too. Because all of us suffer. Can I get any men here? Sin is the most selfish thing there is. That's why God hates it. All right, let's keep going here. Verse And verse 18, Daniel begged for mercy, not for help. See? He didn't beg for help, he begged for mercy, because he knew that his people deserved God's wrath and punishment. God sends His help, not because we deserve it, but because He wants to show great mercy. If God would refuse to help us because of our sin, how could we complain? But when he sends mercy, when we deserve punishment, how can we withhold our praise and thanksgiving to him? Amen. Think about it. All of us should be coming in church with praise and thanksgiving knowing that we deserve way worse than what we're getting, from what we're doing, yep. and how we're living. Look at verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. In Daniel's prayer for the nations, listen, he confessed his own sin using the pronoun we throughout. He didn't leave himself out of it. He said we, right? In times of adversity, it's easier to blame others and excuse our own actions. If any Israelite was righteous, it was Daniel. And yet he confessed his sinfulness and need for God's forgiveness too. Instead of looking for others to blame, first examine yourself and confess your own sins to God. Daniel knew how to pray. As he prayed, he fasted, he confessed his sins, and pleaded that God would reveal his will. He prayed with complete surrender to God and with complete openness to what God was saying to him. When you pray, do you speak openly to God? Examine your attitude. Talk to God with openness, vulnerability and honesty and be ready for God's reply. Getting me men here. Verse 20, Gabriel's message about the anointed one. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Okay? Just as God answered Daniel's prayer, so we can have confidence that God hears and answers our prayers those who love God are called according to his purpose, right? Why was Daniel heard? Why was he blessed? Because he was obedient. He confessed his sins. He was was doing what God wanted him to do. So listen, if you want want prayers to get answered and all these things to happen, obey God. Trust him and do what he wants you to do. Make sure you're not the one hindering the prayer. That's all. Okay. Verse 24. I'm going to have to stop here. A period of so will go a little bit longer here. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven Plus, 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, Hebrew, after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with the flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Okay? We're going to have to stop there. But the Messiah, the anointed one, will be rejected and killed by his own people. His perfect eternal kingdom will come later. All right, we'll pick up with verse 27 when we get back together. Drew, you want to come up and close us? Let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for this message, Lord. I just pray that we take very seriously your words, Lord, and just be very careful how we step, Lord. I just thank you for your mercy and patience with us, Lord. I just thank you for your forgiveness, Lord, and I just pray that we always come to you humbly and with repentant hearts when we do fall short, Lord, and I pray that we all get back on your path quickly, Lord, and I I just pray you continue to walk with us, Lord, and guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, All right. we're going to watch a video.